The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Well, good morning, church. By now, you're probably wondering, why is there a skull on a stool? And I will answer that for you right away, but I'd like you to first turn in your Bibles to Galatians 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 13. It looks like we need to make a little connection here. There we go. And there it went again. Sorry, people, we just have a little computer error here. So I'm going to tell you about this skull while you see the screen. That is a gift from friends. What kind of a friends give a skull for a gift, you think? Friends who love me, friends who care for me, I believe. Um, really, and underneath the, uh, there we go, now it should be coming. Underneath the skull, there is a plaque, and it says, Memento Mori, which means, remember death. Remember we are going to die. Still doesn't really sound like the nicest uh, gift to be given, but it is very significant because one of the things that helps me to remember, this is my office at home every day, helps me to remember to to use each day wisely. Uh, The Bible tells us our time is short, so use it wisely. It also says that we're supposed to die to ourselves to find life in Christ. And in today's passage, we also read that we are supposed to die to the law so that we can live in grace. And so can you please stand with me and uh, we will read today's passage or you can follow along with me. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. And it says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word, and please be seated. So again, there's things for us to remember, that we are to die to ourselves, we are to remember that life is short, and we are to die to the law so that we can experience grace. The context of these verses, if you remember the week before, Pastor Terry was sharing about how uh, Peter had been in Jerusalem. He knew about how the, Jew, how the Gentiles were be accepted into faith and they were celebrating all those things. And they're saying there aren't really restrictions to becoming a Christian. And Christ, just believe in Christ. That's what matters. And be kind to the poor. Keep yourself sexually pure. There were certain things there, but it was more or less, it's faith in Christ. That's what matters. Not that you're a Jew. You don't have to become a Jew to be a Christian. 
So Peter was eating with a bunch of uh, Gentiles in Antioch, but then some other disciples came from the city of Jerusalem that were representing the Apostle James, and all of a sudden Peter was fearful. He was fearful of being misunderstood or judged, and he, he, he started to go back to just Jewish ways and not eat with the Gentiles. That's the context of the verses that we just read. Now, this was part of Paul's response to Peter. So one of the things that Peter or Paul really wants to uh, stress in these verses is that in Christ, we are justified. It has nothing to do with works of the law. So again, Galatians 2.16, if you're looking at your Bibles, the first 15 says, we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. This was talking about the sin of nationalism, assuming that because you're a certain type of people grown in a certain way, that you're in a, in a safety box. For example, for the Jews believing that they were just chosen people. And just because they were the chosen people and that they had the law of Moses and they had ceremonial laws, that that itself saved them. So he said, we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, people who are outside the law. He was saying that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And then in verse 16, it says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law through faith in Jesus Christ, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to order by faith to be, to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Three key words in this verse, and they're the first time that they're used in Galatians, and the first one is simply justified. It says, a person is not justified. Justified is a legal term, which means that we do not stand condemned, that you're declared righteous. Even though you've done wrong things, someone comes in and says, I've paid the penalty, you're justified. I've declared you righteous. It's a, it's a legal thing. But justification with Christ, or in faith, only happens with faith. And faith isn't just something in goodness or faith in hope or faith in pixie dust. It's faith in Christ. There's a particular focus that faith has to have in order for justification to be received. And that's often hard for us to believe that just faith can justify us. So justified is a legal term, but it's also a very deeply personal term. Justified, you could also think of as a phrase as just as if I'd, just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I had a close walk with God, just as if I had died, just as if I had been resurrected. Those are true statements for people who have found their identity in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we die to ourselves, we find life in Christ. So justification has a very legal sense, but also has a very deep personal sense, justified. And faith in itself isn't what gives us merit before God. It's faith in Christ. It's faith in Christ's merit. Do I truly believe that Jesus did what he said he did and that I'm justified because of what he did? So my faith doesn't reward me with merit. My faith in Jesus Christ's merit is what makes me justified. And faith, I think another good word for faith is just the word trust. If we have faith in Christ, that means that we need to trust him. There's a daily trust. It's not just a, yes, I have a big faith, but there's a trust. I trust in Christ. I depend on him. And because of that, I know I have peace that I am justified in him. There's one other key word in this verse that uh, we need to address, and that's the word law. It says works of the law. 
So generally speaking, when you'd hear that or see that in Scripture, you'd be thinking of the Mosaic law or you'd be thinking of ceremonial laws. Uh, one of the things to note is in your Bible, it probably says before the word law, it would ha have an article, the, and, and in the Greek, that word isn't there. It's not the law. It's just works of law. So that means that it's not just the, the Mosaic law that was in mind. It's not just the ceremonial laws. It means any type of law, anything that a human thinks that they can do to earn favor with God or to de deserve merit with God, none of that works. It's only faith in Christ that brings justification. So the first thing, again, from this passage we, we learn is that in Christ is that we are justified. The law does nothing. It's not that the law is bad, but the law does nothing to earn us justification. In verses 7 to 19, we see that in Christ we die to the law and we live for God. Verses 17 to 18 read, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I myself prove to be a transgressor. There is a lot of confusion about these two verses. We could sit down and we could have a class where we talk about all the different ways that people interpret these two verses alone. But I'll just give you what I think is a, is a kind of a, a core view of what's taking place here. Peter's worried that he's going to be guilty by association. So there's Jewish Christians and there's Gentile Christians. And the way they live, the culture they have, are, are quite different from one another. Peter was starting to feel quite comfortable eating meals with the Gentiles, eating food that they weren't allowed to eat before. Do you remember Peter early on uh, in the book of Acts? We, we hear that he saw a vision of a, a blanket that had all these animals in it. And when the animals came down, he heard a voice say, go and eat. And he said, surely not, Lord. These, this is all unclean. And God said to him, don't call unclean what I call clean. All along Peter's journey, he's been having to learn that while there were things in his life that were helpful guidelines, he was being restricted by saying, this is the way it has to be. And God says, no, no, there's, things are clean. You can go use it. It's not unclean. And so now he's thinking about his life with the Gentiles, and he's starting to do a lifestyle that his other Jewish Christians, James in Jerusalem, was looking and saying, you guys are kind of eating the wrong food. You think circumcision's not important. You know, like, what's happening with you guys? And, and he's kind of falling back into, oh, maybe I'm, maybe this grace has gone too far. Maybe, maybe we do need the law because grace has gone too far. That's kind of the thought life here. And he's worried about guilty, being guilty by association. So then the question is, well, if that's the case, so if Gentiles can become Christians, but their lifestyle is sinful, then is God the author of sin? Is that what's, what's happened? Is it like God giving diplomatic immunity to someone? You guys know what diplomatic immunity is? If you ever watch like adventure movies, there's usually a good diplomat and his children aren't all that good and they do all these bad things and every time you want to arrest them, they say, sorry, I have diplomatic immunity. Can't do anything to me, right? And so it's really that idea. So is God then at fault for sin if he says that grace is what saves you, what justifies you, and not law? Is there lawlessness? And Paul says, no, that's absolutely wrong. Certainly not. Just because you're given diplomatic immunity doesn't mean you're supposed to go in sin. Doesn't mean it makes it right in that example. Just because you have grace doesn't mean that sinful things are acceptable. 
actually, you don't understand at all what justification is if you keep on sinning. Because being justified means that you are closely connected, intimately connected with the one who justified you, that you have life in him, and Christ would never sin, so you're not free to sin. There's no way that being justified leads to a sinful lifestyle. But you need to remember that the law doesn't lead to justification. What you were taught before about what you need to do, a lot of those things, it's not that they're bad, but those things following them doesn't make you justified. Only grace does. Paul says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. It's this whole, you can just feel the battle inside their mind. If grace is all that I need to be justified, what place does the law have? Does that mean that I can live in lawlessness? And Paul, I think, would say, no, the law has some really good purposes. It has a civil use. It has a use of making sure that we live well together as we, people use civil law to help us have a, a more moral standard of living. But you can't make someone better by putting a law out there. The law is also good. The Bible says it's sort of like a, a mirror. It reflects who we are. It reflects who Christ wants us to be in some ways. So it can, it can guide us. It can guard us. And then the sin, it also convicts us. It makes us aware of when we're not living the way that Christ wants us to live. When we have Christ living inside us, uh, the law makes us aware of when we're starting to live in our own strength and not God's. There's a lot of good uses of the law, but the law itself cannot free you. The law will just enslave you. It just points out what's wrong. It's only grace that can save you and free you. And this is what Paul says in verse 19, for through the law I die to the law so I might live for God. One of the things Paul wants to highlight for us is that as soon as we take our focus out of life in Christ and on to law, it's a losing battle. Everything gets blurry. Our focus needs to be on what life with Christ is, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's pure. Think about these things. When we keep our eyes on Christ and we're moving towards him, all the things that law is supposed to keep us from, they're not even attractive anymore. Because our mind is on what is pleasing to God. It's on the character of God. So we need to keep our mind on the life, the, the love of God and the life that we have in him. I, I'm reading through the Jewish Bible right now, and I really like the way they... Uh, paraphrase or translate the phrase that I might live to God. It says, so I might be in direct relationship with God. I died to the law so I could be in direct relationship with God. There's nothing else but Jesus Christ that draws me close, closely to my Father. There's no obeying laws that does it, that doesn't build favor with God. It's just living in his grace and allowing him to guide and direct my life. So, the law and sin are, are different things. The law points out sin, but the Bible says that we should die to ourselves. We should die to the law. So a, a reasonable question is, why do I still struggle with sin even though I'm a Christian? If grace was all that and life with Christ was all that, why do I still struggle? And if I asked you to raise your hands, I'm sure most of you who are self-aware would say, yes, that's true for me. I struggle with sin. And I sincerely am a Christian. I've given my life to Christ. I want to trust in his Holy Spirit to guide me. So why is it that I still struggle? 
I want to piggyback on a word image that Terry used last week. It was for the word opposed. When, when, when Paul opposed Peter to his face, the word opposed comes from a root word that means like antihistamine. And I like the imagery of this. I'm going to show you a picture. How many of you have allergies? Do any of you kind of struggle at this time of year? You get the allergies, right? Normally breathing's fine, but then all of a sudden you're sniffly or you're coughing or whatever. You just got allergies. So if you have allergies, you understand this analogy is that we're supposed to be able to just bring, breathe in nice clean air, but unfortunately our air has a lot of these uh, histamines. They have all these different... Uh, particles that make it hard for us to breathe properly or when you have allergies it's just not fun so what happens is think of your body kind of having almost like these honeycomb receptors i'm not a doctor a medical doctor so i might be explaining this wrong but we have receptors that take these histamines and these particles that are going through the air they, they come and they land into these little honeycomb receptors and when we get that we get an allergic reaction so if that's happening to you, you take something called an antihistamine, and that antihistamine comes and it kind of puts a blocker in that receptacle. It fills it up so that when these histamines come, when these allergens come through the air, it goes through your system. It doesn't have a place to land and take root. I hope, kind of hope that's right. So that is what happens when you take an a antihistamine, right? It just puts the blocker in there. It kind of fills up a honeycomb so that it can't stick. So now imagine that for us as Christians, that when we're saved, our body is clean and it's purified, right, by God as far as in the sight of God. But we need to be living in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Well, when we live in the strength of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the ability to live properly and to not accept sin in our life. And then you think, there, we, we live in a realm where there's sin everywhere. We, breathe, we, like, we just kind of breathe the atmosphere of a sinful lifestyle or a legalistic lifestyle. And those things just come into our system, but we might not be protected ourselves by walking with the Spirit day by day. And this is what the Bible says, that we need to keep in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So one of the reasons I struggle with sin or why I might struggle with legalism is that even though I'm saved by faith in Christ on a regular daily basis, I might not be spending that intimate time I need with God so that all those things that are foreign to my body that shouldn't be in my body, that they don't take root. I hope that helps in some way as an imagery. It doesn't belong there. That's, but it, but we, I still sin because I might not always be relying on Christ as I should be or as I could be. Through the Jewish Bible, one of the phrases I really have enjoyed reading, it just says over and over again, it says that people did wrong, they, they did what was right in their own eyes, but they didn't look at life through God's perspective. Uh, this is really what we need to be thinking about, is that as Christians, it's not enough to say, well, this is how I believe, and I want God to bless it, or I hope God, I hope this agrees with the Bible, or I listened to a message, and the message said this. We really need to be people who say, I want my relationship with Christ to be so close that I start seeing life as he does, that I start seeing the joyful things as he does, that I see the things that bring death as he does, that I have God's perspective on life. That's hugely important. And when we do that, it delights the Father because we just start thinking like he thinks. 
And that's not really weird to believe that that can happen, that God can direct our thoughts. Again, any of you who have someone who you really love, maybe your spouse or your children, when you go into situations where they're not with you, you can say, oh yeah, my husband would totally do that. Oh yeah, my kids would love this. When we know people well enough, we start thinking like they do in certain circumstances. The difference for us as Christians is we actually have the Holy Spirit residing in us, living in us. At any moment, I can just say, Lord, please help me to have your thoughts. Lord, my emotions right now are just going down this way. Could you please guide my thoughts to something that are life-giving? Lord, help me guard my tongue because stuff is coming out of my tongue that shouldn't be coming out. And I, I need to start asking God for his perspective on life. Um, one of the courses I'd like to be able to teach soon is called Who I Am in Christ. Uh, the one that we have coming up is called Life Keys. Uh, Who I Am in Christ talks about your core identity in Christ. What are the things that are, are kind of our anchors to know who we are in Christ? And it's a course that helps you do that in the context of friendship so that you start talking about who we are in Christ and we start living more deeply from a place of the life we have in Christ and how that's meant to direct every part of our lives. But we're going to be offering a course the, uh, starting Wednesdays, not this week, but next week. So right after Come to the Table at 7 o'clock, we're going to offer a course called Discover Who You Are, Why You're Here, What You Do Best, What You're Passionate About, What Do You Value, What Are Your Priorities. We take six weeks to cover those topics, and then at the end of that, we put it all together, and we talk about ways that you think God might be leading you to step out to have life with Him, to obey Him, and to serve others. It's a really wonderful course if you're in a time of transition at any age and you say, I really want to get a better understanding of how God has created me and, and maybe what next steps could be in life. The danger is something like this can be very self-centered. It can become very individualistic. What we need to remember is that this process is really only valuable when we're saying, you know what, I, I want to understand my identity in God. I want to know who God is and I want to have life in him. I want to follow him. And if so, if you're at a place in life where you're saying, I'd, I'd really like some time just to have some biblical teaching about uh, who I am in Christ and different things about what do I do best and that, but and also just in a prayerful environment where you can say, yeah, I, I want to step out in faith with God and I want to use my life to glorify him and I want to bless others. This would be a wonderful way to invest your time in that. The last thing from this passage, the last two verses, uh, help us see that we need to live in God's grace. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, very key to this phrase here is, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's that's almost hard to believe, right? We can say that phrase, but it's hard to know what does that mean in reality. Uh, one of the best guides for understanding Scripture is let Scripture explain Scripture. So for this verse, for verse uh, 20 in Galatians 2, probably the best example I could think of is comes from the book of John. John 15, verses 1 to 17, where it talks about the vine and the branches. If we want to know what it means to die to ourselves and have life in Christ, Jesus gave us this example to help us visualize what it means. So God is the vine, we are the branch, and as Gentiles Gentile specifically, it says we get grafted into that vine, 
And when we get grafted into that vine, it's like the, the juice of the plant starts flowing through us. The Holy Spirit moves through us and we have life in him. And the end result is that we have a fruitful life. God does not want us to live a life, and this is sometimes what legalism feels like for us, I need to be fruitful as a Christian. I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this, and I need to do it for God. And it sounds really good, but it lacks life. It actually leads to death because it's not the way God wired us. God wired us to abide in him so that we might have life, so that he could produce fruit in us. And I don't know what all the fruit looks like, but we are told about the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to learn more about that in this chapter. I learned a song a long time ago when I was a kid, and I just heard it last week about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit's not an apple. <laughs> so, woo! So, if that's the type of fruit God is looking at us, and there's probably other things, but I think in Christian circles, we can think of fruit so much as a ministry I have to do, or so many people I need to talk to, rather than thinking that what God really has for us is that the fruit is that we become more like him in his character. Disciplines in our life, there's a difference between legalism and discipline, and we need to understand this. Legalism is when we do something because we're trying to earn favor, when we're trying to earn merit. Discipline is when we're trying to submit to God so that we can come to know him and be more like him. A discipline, so if you're thinking the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, does any of that sound burdensome to you to say, I need to grow in that? Oh Lord, I don't want to learn to be more joyful. Oh Lord, why kindness? Oh, God says that's the fruit. And you get that fruit when you abide with me because you become like me. You can't force yourself, you, well, you can, it just brings death. To, you, if you force yourself to be a person of good moral character, that's a type of legalism. Hey, I go to church, so I have to be like this. I have, I have to do this because my kids see me. I better do it for them. All those kind of things at the end of the day fall short of God saying, abide with me and I will make you like me. Delight yourself in me and I will give you your heart's desires, which doesn't mean he's going to give you your Xbox or doesn't give you your car. It means he will give you himself. Delight yourself in God and you get him. And you get him living inside of you. And you get him flowing out of you. That's what life is about. And legalism doesn't get you there. Only grace. Every single time your mind is brought back to God or something good, the only reason your mind does that is because of the grace of God. So the proper response is just to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. My thought life was going really bad. I wasn't thinking good things about that person, and now you've reminded me that I should forgive. or I need. You've reminded me about how I should live, and I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that you treat me in such a way. Lord, empower me to treat this person that way. Can you see how that's different? 
when we re- remember who we're connected with and then we live from there rather than just trying to will ourselves to do something? In some ways, that is legalism. Jesus' mission was to extend to us an, invita- an invitation to experience life in him. We often talk about how we accepted Christ into our life, and there's a context where that's fine, but that's not really a good picture of what's happened in life. We didn't ask God into our life so much as he invited us into his life. As And that's why they have the wisdom. See, instead of trying harder, legalism, pick up the mic. <laughs> Drop the mic. What a wonderful example. Well done, guys. That worked just the way we planned it. You guys are fantastic. Anyways, Christ invites us into his life. He does enter into ours, but it's more deeply a fact that we enter into the life of Christ. Finally, oh, this is hugely important. You know, when we read the Bible, for the most part, we read everything to ourselves. Whenever you read the word you, quite often we kind of internalize it for ourselves. You in the Bible, generally speaking, is plural. It means us. Usually when you read the Bible and you read a you, you can almost guarantee it means us. So now all of a sudden reading a verse like this makes it really, really special because we remember that Christ doesn't just love big groups of people. He loves you and I very, very intimately. And here it says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That might not sound so wow to us because we hear it all the time, but when you read through the Bible, it's usually about us. And here it says, God cares about you. God died so that his grace could be given to you and that you could show his grace to others. That's a beautiful message of the gospel. The last verse says by Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And so here again, Paul knows the trouble of relying on yourself for good works. Before he met Christ on the way to Damascus, he thought he was a good person. He said, I'm a Jew of Jews. I've been trained by the best. I've been persecuting the church for the name of God. I've been doing everything I can to be a good person. And then he meets Jesus. And Jesus says, Paul, why are you fighting against me? He says, who are you, Lord? And then he gets to know the gospel of Jesus Christ that it's Jesus who justifies, not following laws. And so he says, I don't set that aside. I I will never, ever set aside the grace of God. Peter, when you're getting caught up now about being worried if you're judged by other people because of your actions, do they fall? I'm not going to get caught up in that. The only one I care about as far as their understanding of me is what God says about himself and how I'm supposed to live in him. And Philippians says, Paul says, whatever I had, whatever prestige, whatever, uh, whatever merit I felt I had earned because of the way I lived in the sight of God, that's all loss. It's all garbage. I just want to know Christ. And this is the key for all of us, is that this is the end game. 
that I may know him. Let me ask you this. When you think about being a Christian, why are you a Christian? Is it just because, well, I want to go to heaven. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to have a healthy marriage. I want wisdom in the workplace. I, I want to be a good person. Hey, those are all good things, but I'm sorry. They're far below the bar of just knowing Jesus. Why do you want to go to heaven? Because I want life with Christ forever. Everything else flows from that. And the problem is sometimes we forget that. And knowing Christ is not the highlight of our day. We do a whole bunch of things for God, and we spend no time with him. And he doesn't look down at us condemning us. He looks at us lovingly and says, I just want you. I want you to have life in me. I'm the source of all goodness. Why are you looking for it elsewhere? Find it in me. I just want to share with you a, a story. I, as I was looking for different images, I found this one of a mask, a black mask. It looks like, looks like Spider-Man eyes, white cross, and a tear down there. It's called the tra And it says trap life, and that phrase is used in different ways. But I took it to mean that here's someone who's maybe a Christian and feels completely trapped. The environment that I'm in a Christian in just seems to bind me rather than to free me. That's totally contrary to what God says he's done for us. He's called to make us free. And freedom isn't to sin. Sin leads to death. Freedom is to live for life, to live for life in Christ. That's what God created us for. And I just want to show you a picture of a lovely lady. This is my Aunt Margaret. She's, I'd say, one of my favorite aunties. Maybe you're not supposed to say that. Sorry, other aunties. But my grandma died when I was very young, and uh, Auntie Margaret was like a grandmother to me. She was to most of her nephews and nieces. I don't know if she chose to be single or not, but she was single her whole life, and she was so loving, so kind. She took care of all of the nephews and nieces so deeply well. And uh, when my grandma died, she quit her job to go and live and take care of my grandpa. She gave up her career, and she just stayed, and she took care of my grandpa, and all the siblings kind of supported them in that. And all my life, I can't remember one bad thing coming out of her mouth. I can remember many things coming out of my mouth that were bad in her presence and her lovingly correcting me, but doing it in a really nice way and saying, Doug, that, doesn't, that shouldn't be coming out of your mouth. She wasn't like, Ugh, but she was always bringing me up to a higher level because of the way she was living with Christ. She found out a while back that she had ALS. And uh, I remember her body just started fighting her. All of a sudden, her neck was drooping. And we, we had to put her into her home. All of a sudden, she's in a wheelchair. We bought her a tablet so she could at least play some games and because we knew she was going to lose her voice eventually. So we were teaching her how to write things on the tablet so we could have messages to each other. Sure enough, it wasn't long. She lost her voice, and we were just talking through the tablet. Soon she couldn't do that. She's just in her bed, and she couldn't move at all. You could just see her eyes kind of follow things around. And, but you know, the whole time going to see her in her home, I never heard anything but gospel good news out of her mouth. She was genuine about how she didn't want to be in this condition, but she was so honoring to God in the way she lived. And I couldn't be prouder of my auntie 
for exuding the life of Christ to me in a body that could do nothing anymore. Our life in Christ is a lot bigger than our circumstances. The joy we have in him, the fulfillment in him, it surpasses the difficulties we face and any physical hardship we have. My auntie passed away a couple years ago already. And, you know, one of the things that I, I just know from her is Christ lives in me. She was a perfect example of that for me. Here's a woman who Christ lives in. And the doctors and nurses also told me that they were amazed at how much family she had. Here's a single lady, never married, no kids. And they said, but the brothers and sisters, like you guys are here all the time loving her and caring for her. How is that possible? <laughs> it's not how family usually is. And they were saying, well, we're not only family, but we're Christians. We have life in Christ together. Uh, as the team comes up for our final song here, I just want to let you know that this is what God has created us for. He's created us to have life in him together. And legalism finds its way into our life very easily. And all of a sudden we're re we like, oh, I can't be with that person. Just like Peter said he couldn't be with the Gentiles. I, we start putting blockages in about what is Christian or not. There are standards. God has standards. But we need to know that first, all, all, first of all, everything is by grace. And when we're living in Christ, we will not sin. All those commands that can seem legalistic become promises. It says, thou shalt not murder. You won't murder. You won't want to commit adultery. You won't want to lie. You will at times, but you're confessed be forgiven. But you won't desire those things anymore because that's not the life of Christ. Please know that you and I were created for grace. Amen.